Well, it's good to be with you here today. I don't know if you know this, but my wife and I are Wisconsinites. I grew up on a dairy farm, <laughs> halfway between Eau Claire and Minneapolis, just in western Wisconsin. Uh, my wife grew up in De Pere. <laughs> they are true Wisconsinites. They have five season tickets to the Packers. <laughs> so that's a thing. But we know Wisconsin well. And we grew up here. I am so happy about what is happening here. Because where I grew up, in that part of the state, there was a little bit of light. When I came to Christ and then came into the full gospel, I came back from college. Both my wife and I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which it's hard to be a Christian there, let me tell you. But I went to a dentist, and I was talking with a dental hygienist, and she said she went to an Assemblies of God church. And so I was new to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I went to the church, and I found out that my classmates that I studied with went to that church. We studied in a study hall every day, sometimes twice a day for four years, and they never once mentioned Jesus. They never once preached the gospel. They were special girls. I could tell that they weren't the same as other girls, that's what attracted me to them. I didn't realize till later it was Jesus in them that I was attracted to. But to have a light like this church here, wow. Now, Pastor Bakken, where are you? Are you here? Pastor, Pastor Richard, is he here today? He's not here today? Well, I want to honor him. There's a vision here. This place is incredible. I preached here in about 1995 in the gym. I have never seen this building. This is amazing. In fact, is I've been struggling with sin for the whole day. It's called covetousness and jealousy. It's like, your 10 acres back here in Phoenix is worth around $6 million. That's before you build the building. That's just part of what you guys got. So, my wife Teresa became a Christian. We're both raised in Roman Catholic, but our born-again days, her starts at the University of Green Bay in chemistry as an atheist. She takes a class and realizes God's a God of order, not a God of chaos. And that starts her journey into Christ. I go to the University of Wisconsin for wine, women, and song. I only got the song. Because <laughs> I got saved before I got the wine or the women. Which is good. See, our dairy farm was 15 miles from sin. Because we live 15 miles out of town. 
in my uh, fifth year class reunion, I found out what those guys were doing, but it wasn't what I was doing. Are we working on this? It's hard to sit in a cornfield. It's just milking cows. I mean, you can get angry at them. That's true. I've kicked more than one cow because they kicked me. We went to Kelly's ice cream last night, and I was looking at the barn with the lights on, and I just... I mean, it just brings the Catholic back out of you. You just go... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, I'm glad I'm not there. I love everybody who does it, but here's what happened to me. I graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison with a double major in agronomy and dairy science. I was going to go back home and find... And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in my room because I'd been trained with the navigators there, and he said, I didn't save you to go home and milk cows. That's my call. That may not be your call. I love farms. I love farmers. I love the kind of people that grew up. And I told Pastor Anthony, Wisconsin people are good. We may not have the light because of our heritage here, but we're ready. We're ready. It's not that we don't want to love God. We just haven't been taken by the hand and shown how to love God. Anybody here with that testimony? Yeah, it's just like, man, oh, I want to serve God. Sorry. So I, uh, I usually preach from my iPad, and they're going to have to turn the slide here. If I go like that, I want a new one. <laughs> so uh, we started Two Rivers Church, which stands for the river of the word and the river of spirit. Because if you got the river of the spirit without the word, you blow up. <laughs> Lots of charismatic churches do that. If you have the word without the spirit, you dry up. Western civilization is dying. The transgender influence, if you study history, is part of a last section of an empire. Check it with the Greek Empire, the Spartan Empire, the Roman Empire. It's always had this happening. We're at the end of what we're doing here unless we have a revival. Amen. we got to have a revival, folks. That's what we're in for. Jesus can save America again. Amen. He just needs us to participate. Amen. He needs us to get involved. Now, we see a lot of miracles like you're seeing here. Cancers that are incurable, healed. People who are incredibly oppressed by demons getting delivered. We're seeing things that as a young pastor I dreamed about. Because when I came into the ministry 40 years ago, Madison Gospel Tabernacle was a Pentecostal church, but the teaching of how to release people into the gifts of the Spirit was not available. Our pastors had a great heart, but they were trained in the way before. And now, when I came back from Argentina, we were missionaries for 10 years, I realized the church had increased in this learning about how to impart and stir up the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, Paul says, stir up the gifts. We didn't know how to do it. Now, two rivers, we have at least 400 people that can prophesy. Now, I'm telling you, we weren't that charismatic Pentecostal when we started. We hoped a gift would manifest. <laughs> we hoped it would. But then we got into 
finding out different people in the United States who are teaching how to impart this, and our church is on fire now. It's just on fire. And I go to work every day excited, not about what I'm going to do. I'm excited to hear what everybody in the church did during the week, because it's pretty exciting. So, that's a little introduction. I could tell you a whole lot more. But I'm excited about Jesus. The Bible lives today through us if we want it to. Miracles happen not through the big guns. They happen through what I call garden variety Christians just living their life. And miracles happen. Our greatest miracles are not done by the paid pastoral staff, of which whom we have nine. Our greatest miracles are done by people who have a job out there in the world, not at church. And they're interfacing with people, and they're just raising their kids and living their life and going to school, and, but they're equipped. And so now they're doing miracles and coming and telling us about it, and we're sometimes more surprised than them. Wow. Are you kidding? Wow. So, anyway, all that to be said, fasten your seatbelts. It's happening. Do you, do you feel it? Amen. Do you see it? Yeah. You ain't seen nothing yet. This is, this is going to be what you always wanted, even though you didn't realize that this is what you wanted. Amen. But every Christian has the law of God written, and we have this thing inside of us that longs to see God revealed on earth, and he reveals himself in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how he does it. The Holy Spirit is the agent of the Trinity working on the earth today. The, The Son is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Who's working here? The Holy Spirit. And yet certain theological groups act like the Holy Spirit doesn't even exist. Now, here's one good thing about being raised Catholic. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You never have to teach a Catholic that the Holy Spirit is still here. They know. They may not have experienced, but they know. I know I'm one of them. So here's my title. Love like you've never been hurt. This is part of how a revival comes. God is love. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples if they see the love which you have for one another. But here's the problem. We've been hurt. We've been hurt. We don't love as completely as we could. Now, I want to talk to some of you narcissists and selfish men here. Putting down your wife, making fun of them, berating your children. It seems fun. But it's far more exciting to speak life to them and see them grow. If you don't like what your wife is doing, instead of speaking death, speak life. How do you speak life? You love them like Christ loved the church. We have a girl in our youth group grooming other girls. She knew who was gender confused in our youth group. We actually had to take her out of the teen group. I assigned her to one of our women pastors. And you know what we found out? She's never really been loved, even though she comes from a Christian family. 
she feels no love from her father. She feels no love from her mother. And that pastor, who came from a terrible background, takes her out and buys her whatever drink she wants. You know, and kids, and they want all this other stuff. I don't even know how to pronounce it. And they sit. And this girl is so blocked, she won't even talk for 15 minutes. And she'll say, just talk to me. Just talk to me. And after about 15 minutes of loving on her, she starts to talk. She now has changed her orientation. She now is thinking about Jesus. And it wasn't saying she was a sinner that got her out of there. It was unconditional love. But see, we can't love that way if we're hurt. Now, I heard this saying, love like you've never been hurt. And I heard it came from Satchel Paige, the great baseball player. The second, there's another line, there's a triplet there. The another one is dance like no one's watching. The middle one that caught my attention was love like you've never been hurt. Well, I always check my sources, so I looked it up on the internet, and it looks like the originator of it that's recorded, because it could have been somebody else, is actually Mark Twain. So Mark Twain wrote about it in the 1880s. Satchel Page was about 1940, 1950. But he was right, Satchel Page. See, Satchel Page had suffered in Major League Baseball, suffered the ravaging impact of racism. But Satchel Page loved people. He broke down walls because he loved people like he'd never been hurt, and you know he'd been hurt. See, there's the secret right there. We think putting people down and speaking negative and being condescending is fun. I'll tell you what. Speaking life over people and watching them bloom just like these flowers. You know, this lily with the little green pot is one thing. But when this flower opens up, isn't it something else? Yeah. And what makes people grow is love. If you speak love, it will flower. And then you realize, I was actually created to supernaturally love people like I've never been hurt. Because there isn't one person sitting here who hasn't been hurt. Every one of us have been hurt. We've been hurt in our families. We've been hurt on the job. We got hurt in the neighborhood. We got hurt at school. We've been taking a fist to the face all our life. Or am I wrong? And it makes you hard. It makes you callous. It makes you even think that true love doesn't even exist. But true love rose from the dead on Resurrection Sunday. That's the deal. So we got to love like him. So... I went to dictionary.com because I was looking for the definition of nitroglycerin. Oh, this sounds like a terrorist pastor. Uh, actually, I'd heard this other thing about nitroglycerin, so I went to dictionary.com, and I found out they were having a contest. And they were having a contest to find out what is the greatest English word of all time. And in the final, sounded like March Madness here, in the final, in the Super Bowl, the words thank you and love were paired off. How about that? I mean, this is voting. This is thousands of people voting on any word they want to in the English language. And the two finalists are thank you and love. Now, I have four kids and nine grandkids, and I know this. 
it takes about 20 years to teach a kid thank you. <laughs> it takes about nine seconds for them to memorize a swear word. And they never forget it. It's just, you got to believe in a spiritual world right there. It's like, can you say thank you? I mean, we're just with our grandkids. You know, like, hi, we're in a movie. Uh, can we hear the magic words? You know, and they're going. And you can almost say, I don't want to say them. But they want the movie. Thank you. Yeah, this is a powerful word, thank you, right? So after four rounds, thousands of votes, nail biters, blowouts, stunning upsets, two words remain in the vote for a quote, which stands for greatest word of all time. And not just any two words, the words thank you and love. So the final pitch, gratitude champion, thank you, unimpeded by its status as a phrase. Now you gotta be a word geek to laugh at that, I did. Because thank you is not a word, it's two words. So it's a phrase. Right? Against undefeated, unconditional, unfailing love. And guess who wins? Love wins. Love wins the vote. Now, again, I'm sitting in my office. I push my chair back from my desk. And I'm like, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Dictionary.com, which is probably a secular organization, has decided to define love as undefeated, unconditional, unfailing love. Now, you've heard this if you come to church for any amount of time. That's the God kind of love. The only one who really loves like this is God. It's agape. Now, if you're born of God, you can love like this, and that's what I want to talk about. We have eros, which is physical love. Let me tell you something you never heard. Physical love, sexual love, erotic love is fine as long as it gets what it wants. But when Eros doesn't get what it wants, Eros acts, un it acts selfishly. And think about that in the troubles in your different life because Eros is not unconditional and it is not unfailing love. Eros in order for it to function properly as God intended, has to be supervised by agape love. And you cannot get to that good there without agape supervising activities and speaking to somebody and saying, you're being a brat and you're 42. <laughs> you're being selfish and you're 50. Come on, wake up, dude, right? So, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 agrees with dictionary.com. Imagine that. But now, faith, hope, love, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. But it's not our kind of love. It's a God kind of love. And see, what you've got to realize is you were created to manifest to the world the God kind of love. And it starts with your spouse. And then it moves to your children. Then it goes to your neighbors. Now, how about this? Couples fighting. They're just having a knockout. They're, they're saying stuff. And then there's a knock on the door, and it's the neighbor lady. And the husband goes to the door, and he opens the door and says, Oh, hi, Jane. How are you? You know what? Now, first of all, when you hear it, you just want to take two fingers and put them down your throat, right? <laughs> Because 
Why would you treat the neighbor lady better than you treat your spouse? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the closest neighbor you have if you're married is your spouse. Now, I want to know if you're loving them with unconditional, unfailing love or you're a selfish brat. Just want to know. Should we have an altar call right now? (laughs) I just preached this at my church, so I didn't make this up for you. I preached this on Palm Sunday. I finally did get to look up nitroglycerin. Now, there was a reason why I was looking up nitroglycerin. Because I had to check a thought that I heard someone say. And I always check it up, so I checked it up, and I... I read the definition of nitroglycerin, a colorless, thick, oily, flammable, highly explosive, slightly water-soluble liquid, C3H5N3O9. Now, I took two semesters of organic chemistry, so that makes me happy. C3. I could even draw that molecule from that. Prepared from glycerol with nitric and sulfuric acids, used chiefly as a constituent of dynamite and other explosives. Also, in rocket propellants. I mean, why is the pastor looking up nitroglycerin? Maybe he's got one of those unruly people in his church and he wants to send him to Fond du Lac from Phoenix. Maybe maybe he wants to put him on on a rocket and send him up here. (laughs) Every church has a few of those. You know what the Bible says? I send a few weirdos to your church to see if you really love. (laughs) And there's a lot of churches that when that irregular person comes, they push them away because they don't want to be bothered. My conscience won't let me because I know what's happening. He's testing love. So here is the next definition of nitroglycerin. And in medicine is a vasodilator in the treatment of angina pectoris. Now, I don't know why they're using Latin in an English dictionary. But angina is pain. It's a Latin word for pain. Pectoris is chest. So it's talking about chest pain. They could have just put chest pain, right? Because then I wouldn't have to look up angina and pectoris. But, okay. So, when you summarize this, you you can blow up a bridge with nitroglycerin, or you can save a heart. And some of us are struggling with God's will. God's specific will probably will not be revealed until you take up the general will of God which is to be just as loving in your home and your neighborhood and your job as he is. See, I wonder what God's will is. I'll tell you what one thing is, be loving. Be loving. Be the God kind of loving. Not the I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back kind of loving. That's not true godly love. Your love is like nitroglycerin. You determine the use of your nitroglycerin of love. You can say this, I'm going to blow stuff up by the lack of love, by the kind of love I offer, or I'm going to heal things with the kind of love I offer. What I've noticed about all sinful people is they know they're sinners. You do not have to tell them. They already know. You're going to hell. Any person over there, I already know that. Do you got any good news? See, the good news is, yeah, we're all going to hell, but there's someone here to save us. The good news is, you might be not acting your best, but I believe, this is what love does, I believe you're better than this. I believe 
You might be a wilted flower, abused by people, but if someone will speak supernatural love to it, the flower will be resurrected and become the most beautiful flower that that person has ever been. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, whose life are you changing by love? See, that's how God loved us. It says we love because he first loved us. God did not point a bony, fing bony finger and condemn us. He taught us how to love. We love because he first loved us. And what I found out is when I'm loving and it's God, it feels really good. You might not do this, but Teresa, my wife, is a hiker. So she went hiking for four days and left me at home. She had a friend and they went hiking. I'm still working. I'm still working. I invited a homeless guy to stay with me. And in the conversations of a couple nights, he just happened to admit that he was trans. I'm like, I did not know that. But I am not going to change how I love him. His sin is not going to change what I do. In fact, he's not coming out of his sin unless he senses and feels the love of God from Christians. So, here's what we need to do. Love like you've never been hurt. Everybody's been hurt here. Some of you have been hurt terrible. Some of you don't even want to talk about how much you've been hurt. Because it's that bad, it's that sharp, it's that painful. And you're like, I'm always looking for another punch, so to speak. I'm always looking when the other shoe is going to fall. I, I, really, I really don't want to give because I'm, I'm like, this is all I've got. And the people I'm giving to are never going to give anything back to me. See, that's human economy. When you did your declaration there, you are breaking the spirit of poverty over your church and over your lives. And I can tell you what happens. The church will prosper and you will prosper. I've lived this. I know this. We started a church in a very expensive city with 19 people, six of them being kids, all from Madison, Wisconsin. We moved to the Phoenix area to start a church. We had no jobs, we had no money, and we had no help. God is enough. And you, by being generous, are going to break the spirit of poverty over your church and over everything. Yeah. See, you're loving even if you've been hurt in that area, and then you find the miracle. So let's talk about Palm Sunday a little bit. When you read, you need to put yourself in the story. If you've never been taught to put yourself in the story, then you're probably the person who says, I don't like to read. God's given you an incredible imagination. He's given you an incredible mind, but nobody taught you how to read. I spent the first 10 years of my life in hospitals. I did a lot of reading. I was sick. I was in a little bed. And back then, they put restrainers on kids. I'm sitting in this restrainer, can't even get out of the bed to go to the bathroom unless a nurse unties me. And I lived in books. And I let my imagination go. And when you read the Bible, you need to do the same thing. So it is Palm Sunday. Remember three weeks ago? It's Palm Sunday. And Jesus 
has decided that it's time, and he's heading for Jerusalem, and this is going to be his last trip. Whoa, that went fast. So, by this moment, in English is important, by this moment, meaning three years has passed in his ministry, this moment he's heading for Jerusalem, had Jesus been hurt by humans? Had we hurt him? Sure we had. He's got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is what they said to Jesus. Because they knew that Mary got pregnant before Joseph had relations with her. And they said to Jesus, Is it not true, this is the Gospel of John, that your father is a Samaritan, and you have a demon? That's what they said to Jesus. Do you think that would hurt? These are the people that should know the Bible. And instead of recognizing and embracing him for who they were, the people who knew them all said, this is church and it's a true word. Look it up in the English dictionary. This is what they said. You are a bastard. You are not a legitimate son and you're demon-possessed. That's what they said. Do you think that would hurt? <laughs> he already tells them as they're going the shepherd is going to be killed and all his friends are going to scatter in my moment of greatest need not one of you will stand with me how lonely is that here's what I learned being a pastor of small churches Three church plants. Generally, in the beginning of a church plant, you have the ministry of moving. Yeah. Because you got time on your hands, and anybody that comes, you don't have buildings and everything to offer them, but you can help them move. I'm good at moving. I'm really good at moving. <laughs> and here's the thing. When you move, you find out who your friends are, because if they're not your friend, they don't show up. <laughs> they're busy. But your friend will change his busy and help you move. Those are your true friends. You got other friends, but your true friends will be there. So, Matthew 20, 17 through 19. Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, look, listen, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. He says, who's going to do it? And they will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles, which is worse, mock and scourge, scourge and crucify him. On the third day, he will be right raised up. Now he's on his way to deliver to humanity the greatest act of love that has ever occurred in our history. And he's going up with the knowledge that this is how much we love him. We're going to abandon him. We're going to not even just do it as ourselves as a Jewish people. We're going to turn him over to Gentiles so they can kill him. He went in an act of love for us. See, he's loving even though he's been hurt. Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't already done. It is possible to love if you've been hurt. It's possible to love through your hurt. In fact, if you love through your hurt, you'll actually heal your hurt. Amen. That's what Jesus did. 
John 12, 12 through 16. On the next day, the large crowd who'd come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. These guys got incredible revelation here. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, the daughter of Zion, daughter of Zion, hold, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things were written of him, and they had done these things. I just want to point out one thing. Jesus suffers and is hurt by the fickleness of human love. They are saying he's the best thing since sliced bread one day. Three days later, they turn on him, and they say, kill him. This is disloyalty, folks. <laughs> this is, and so if you've been hurt, if people have betrayed you, if people have been disloyal to you, if you've been abandoned, in your victim mentality, you can stay. Or you can say this, Jesus loved even when he was a victim. Amen. Jesus loved through his victimness. If you have a victim mentality, and here's how you tell. Instead of your pronouns and your focus being on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, your focus is on the unholy Trinity. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I are hurt. You know, I went to that church and me and myself and I, we didn't get treated right. Me, myself, and I. She looked at me wrong. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. See, that's the unholy Trinity. And that's what makes us victims. That's a sign of victim mentality. And you've got to go through your tape here. What pronouns do you use in your mind? Because Jesus said, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But we spend so much time fixing ourselves on, on this. Now, do you know how I know about the untruly, un, unholy trinity? I think I invented it. <laughs> I'm like, I am like, before Christ, the most selfish person I know, and after Christ, I'm still selfish sometimes. Ask my wife. She's here. I can't lie. Should be going. <laughs> I know that guy. But I am still saying this. You can love. You can love like you've never been hurt. And when you love like you've never been hurt, you're going to get on an adventure that will completely transform your life. When you give of the love that God gives you to other people, oh, that's when the party starts. That's when the supernatural flows. The supernatural flows through compassion. And you say, well, how would we start miracles in my life? Just look at people who are hurting and be compassionate, and you will be surprised if you take a step, because God, the Holy Spirit, flows through compassion. That's how people get healed. You know, I got this elder. I told him about it yesterday. I cast two demons out of him six years ago. Six years later, he's an elder in our church. He regularly is IT guy, geek, geek of geeks. You think you've got to be an extrovert to be used by God? He, by nature, is not. But he often is in four different Starbucks. And you know what they call him at those Starbucks? They call him Jesus. If he hasn't been there a while, they say this, where have you been? We've missed you. These are non-Christians in Starbucks saying we've missed you. 
because he's personally giving prophetic words and words of knowledge to them. He has continually spoken love into their lives, even though they're not Christians yet. And they open up their store and they hope he will come every day. Doesn't that sound like Christianity? Amen. Sounds like it to me. I walked out of my office, which we just got office everywhere. It's right in the sanctuary. And this big shot pastor was in my church and he was in my office. I came out, he goes, your office is off the sanctuary? Well, it's better than no office. Yeah. But I came out one Sunday for the nine o'clock service and there was this Japanese lady sitting right there. And I said, hi, my name's Tom. I don't know if I've ever met you. And she said, well, I'm new. It's my first Sunday. And I said, well, how did you find out about Two Rivers Church? She goes, you know, you got a guy here. His name is Michael. He, like, goes to Starbucks. And he read my mail <laughs> one afternoon. And he has changed my life. I am now born again. And I want to come to this church. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, love like you never been hurt. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Are you kidding me? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now that verse we know, but you have to get this in context. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Does verse 20 look like love? Does verse 20 sound like love? Amen. It looks like it to me. That verse is the correct way to love people. Like sometimes in church, we've been in church so long, we don't realize that we can really help people. We kind of look at, Non-Christians, like they're the enemy. They're not the enemy. They're just looking for a true Christian to love them. Yes. Take down the barriers that the yes. devil has put in their way so they can get saved. And you do it by loving. Mm -hmm. See, Paul is saying, we, make, we don't preach at you. We make an appeal. Yes. We're not talking from here to there. We're talking right by you, maybe even on our knees, because we're begging you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Amen. I can say more, but you just get back to this thought. Love like you've never been hurt. Now look at this verse. You know what? Here's how much our society has fallen. Up to 20 years ago, when people got married, they read these verses. I haven't done a wedding in 20 years that has used these verses. But these verses aren't about a marriage, although they're absolutely applicable to marriage. They're about living. Love is patient. When? When you don't want to be. See, you got to realize that's why it's patient. It's not patient because everything's going hunky-dory. Oh, I'm just going through life and everything's awesome. I'm so patient. No, it's like, oh, patience. <laughs> love is kind. When? When you don't want to be. Love isn't jealous. When your buddy gets that which you don't have yet. Love doesn't brag. When? When it could. It's not arrogant. When it could be, it doesn't act unbecomingly. 
you, you see those guys that go off angry in public and their wife is sitting there looking at them going, you're being such an idiot right now. Right? I used to do that to uh, customer service agents of cell phones. I would call them up and start okay, but by the time I got about two minutes in, I was angry. And I'd hang up and my wife would go, I am so embarrassed. Don't you understand those are nice people? Don't you understand that they did not do what you're calling about? You know what? I had to do that twice and be an idiot before God sanctified that part of my life. And now before I call somebody in customer service, I say to myself what she said. These are nice people who did not cause whatever problem I have. They are not responsible. They probably already had a bad day because a jerk like you just called. <laughs> and why don't you be nice to them? And you know what? I found out you pretty much get whatever you want if you're nice. <laughs> but if you're a jerk, like, oh, disconnected. <laughs> Love isn't provoked. When? When someone's poking you. See, God's love is reacting right when someone's treating you bad. Yeah. I, I got to go, so I'm just going to move through there. But I want you to think about it. These attributes of love are almost all responses to love in a negative situation. Do not leave here. This is your $10,000 gift right here. This is life-changing. Love is the right response to a negative situation. A lot of times I do marriage counseling. Well... She got on her broom and started flying around the house. And so I called her this and this and this. And then she turned up the speed. And then, and I'm like, well, how'd it work? Well, now we're both really angry. I says, well, if when she got hurt and got on her broom, if you would have been kind... Because the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. So if you would have loved in a biblical way, we probably wouldn't be here like we're walking on dynamite today. Because <laughs> love is a response. I just want to talk about this. And this is what I told my church. I had some lady. She goes, what about husbands verbally abusing their wives? What, do you, what does the church do about that? See, I'm not preaching to you. It only happens in Phoenix. It doesn't happen in Fond du Lac. But I'll just show you what we go through. <laughs> we expect people who call themselves Christians to act like Christians. The Bible is crystal clear about how a Christian should talk, period. No exception, period. That's how I do my Bible, period. And I got a wife who knows her Bible. She knows her Bible. We've been married 41 years. I am a far better Christian than I was when I got married because she'll just quote a Bible verse and I'm so in trouble. <laughs> she'll just say something like, would Jesus say that? Mm. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, you need to understand that let no unwholesome word proceed is a command form in English. Yeah. If you look this up in Greek, it's a command. It says, do not allow this. Now, I began to get this insight from Spanish because I was a missionary in Argentina for 10 years. The Spanish, which came from Latin, which came from Greek, has the same structure. They have a grammatical structure that says this is a command. But when we hear, let no unwholesome word proceed, we think it's a suggestion. It is not a suggestion. It is a command. A Christian cannot allow an unwholesome word to proceed from his or her mouth. Period. Period. 
The minute you do, you need to hit your knees and ask everybody around you for forgiveness because you are a Christian and you've been given a command by God to not let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, God doesn't do it to cramp your style. He does it to save you and your family from death. Yeah. Now, I'm Irish, so here's what Irish people say. They say, you know, I have to get mad because I'm Irish. I mean, it's like it's ethnic or something. <laughs> so, Trisha and I are married. It's 14 below zero, and we are having a discussion about, I feel terrible to admit this. Ladies, you, you know what I'm talking about. We are fighting with 14 below zero, new first year of marriage, about who should take out the garbage. <laughs> How manly of me, right? <laughs> and so she's like, you're the husband, you take out the garbage, and I'm going to get mad. I'm going to show this chick what's going on. <laughs> you know, you got to control them through anger, which is what anger is. It's a control mechanism. Yeah. And I even got down. I'm going to get good and mad. And when I bent down like this, the Holy Spirit said, you can control yourself. Guess I'm going to go take out the garbage. <laughs> I'm going to go take out the garbage. See, these things are not suggestions or commands. If you don't like that verse, how about this one? Let your speech always be with grace. It doesn't say sometimes. It doesn't say when people are treating you right. It says when people are treating you wrong, now you're in your power spot with the agape love of God to speak something good. Yeah. Oh, you blew your chance. <laughs> Repent then. If you don't like that, how about that? No, I don't have time. It's fun. I got stories. Here's, I got stories because I'm a sinner. But I want to stay what I was. I want to be what Jesus wants me to be. Amen. I'm not the same guy. I don't even want to go there. Although sometimes I have wives say, I got an angry husband. And then I find out uh, she hammered for about four days. And after four days, he blew up. And I'm going, did you do that for four days? Is that love? No. Okay. Just check it. So love like you've never been hurt. I want to get to this. Notice that this is a difficult situation, but I want you to see the power here. And not only this, but we also exult in our what? Tribulations. This is a bad time in life. Knowing that tribulation brings around perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the... Love of God. This is agape, friends. Agape love of God. Not past present tense, but past tense have been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, I often get this. Well, I don't have enough love for that person. I'm probably in agreement. I'm like, I know that person too, and I'd have a hard time loving them if I didn't have an inexhaustible source from heaven. Amen. See, I can ask for the love of God to be poured into my heart. This isn't just a one time. This is any time you need it. You don't have to love just with eros. You don't have to just love with, with a phileo, which is brotherly love. You can call on the big guns of God for agape love. You say, well, I don't have enough love. Well, then get him. Ask him. Take him at his word. Tell him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's why we're big on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because it opens a door. Yeah. It, it makes you realize that God knows your address. Yeah. Why do you want to know that God knows your address? Because when you ask for a blessing, you know that he knows. Yeah. Whenever you order something, something from Amazon, they ask for your address. Yeah. If you order from Amazon and don't put an address, where's that package going? 
I'm telling you the delivery service of heaven is way better than Amazon. Amen. The delivery service from heaven, God loves you so much, he wants you to know that he will do miracles for you. He will, and see a miracle is, I don't really like my husband right now. Well, God, I don't even like him. Well, he's saying, look up and get love. Amen. Get love for him. Oh, I see where he's been hurt. I see why that's doing that. I'm going to love him. I got to tell a story. Is this okay? Yes, Jorge Salvucci, he is a terrible man. He is the most prideful man and the biggest liar I have ever met, Argentina. He carries a nine millimeter in his back pocket right here, just in case a friend comes. <laughs> I'm like, what do you use when an enemy comes? You got an AK-47 in the closet? I mean, he's a bad dude. And at this moment, his wife and daughters come to church, and he's living in another city with another woman. But that isn't his start of adultery. He's been a, committing adultery with her since the wedding, and it's like 30 years. She said, what do I do? She had two teenage daughters. She said, every time he comes home, they had an ice cream shop. They come to fix the machines. You love him like he's the king. And they did. Those two teenage daughters crawled into his lap, and they said, Papi. And they said, Papi, I love you. And when he got saved, this is what he said. It was my wife's love and my daughter's love that broke me because every time they said that they loved me, I knew I didn't deserve it. See, love is powerful, friends. Amen. We want to give people a fist. Amen. But if you think a fist is powerful, try the love of Jesus. But before you try it, you're going to have to ask, like this verse says, for it to be poured out into your heart because we all lack resources. We love because he first loved us. So we love like we've never been hurt before. We're going to have two altar calls. Here's the first one. Have you experienced the love of Jesus? The love of Jesus is unconditional. Jesus is not waiting for you to get good so that he can come and live inside of you. He's waiting for you to repent. Repent means to turn from your sin. Oh, I see that this is not right. I'm turning. And go toward God. So if you've come today and you're not born again, you need to turn around and you don't have to worry about anything except look at Jesus. You go right for Jesus. That's how you get born again. You realize you're not going toward a judge. You're going toward a Savior who loves you. You turn and go to the widest arms possible. You turn and go to the most loving being possible. And you might be saying, I can't stop sinning. Well, good for you. I'm glad you figured that out. Because we often cannot stop sinning. We need his help. So I want you to stand with me. Stand with me. They're going to play some songs, but I, I, I just want to ask every person, because this is the question that was not asked to me in New Richmond Senior High. They never asked this question. Do you know Jesus personally? They never asked this question. question have you repented of your sins? And have you applied the blood of Jesus to wash those sins away? See, I thought that good works would wash those sins away.
I was told that if I was good, I'd go to heaven. But we can only do one, two, three, if you're really awesome, four good works a day, but you can sin 50 times in a minute. Our math is bad. If you're here and you think that you're going to get to heaven because you're a good person, you're not going to make it because you sin far more every day than you will ever have time to do good. See, the enemy of our soul put that lie in. Think about Jesus on the cross. If you can get to heaven by being good, then he died on the cross for nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why did Jesus shed his blood? Because blood is the payment for sin. So, bow your heads with me. Are you here this morning and you do not ever remember, and even me growing up in church, I never remembered confessing Jesus as Lord, not Savior, Lord, President, Admiral, Boss. If you want to speak Spanish, Jefe, Patron. I never confessed him as those things over my life. I was on the throne in my heart, ruling and reigning my life. So to get born again, you get off the throne and you put Jesus on the throne. You apply the blood of Jesus to your heart like in Exodus, they applied the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of their homes and the death angel passed over. That was put in Exodus so every person today would realize, I will go to heaven if I apply the blood of Jesus to my heart. So I'm asking you, have you repented of your sins and have you applied the blood of Jesus to your heart? So close your eyes. If you have not done it and you want to pray, because that's how you do this, raise your hand. Anybody here? Anybody here want to come to Christ today? First time. I know that I was in churches and I missed it. Is there anybody here? Anybody at all? Okay. All right. Here's our next thought. Have you been hurt and have you withheld love? Or have you never had the thrill of loving other people unconditionally? And you want to start that today. I just want you to keep your heads bowed. I just want you to raise your hand. I want to go on a mission of love. I got some hands. I got three or four honest, godly people. I want to go. I've been hurt. I've been holding. Have you been withholding love in your, in your marriage? Because your partner's... Your, your spouse has hurt you. Today's the day to say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my spouse like they don't deserve, just like Jesus loved me when I didn't deserve. We're going to turn life around by loving, even though we've been hurt. Anybody else here? You want to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm not really good at this, but I want to be good at this. I want to compare loving people like this to being a father. Nobody told me that being a father was such an awesome thing. Nobody told me that being a father would be the one thing that would satisfy me and complete me and make me whole. Nobody extolled the fact that I was actually created to be responsible and to be a provider and to be a perfecter and to give identity to my family in Christ. Nobody ever told me that if I walked in that, it would be the best feeling ever. Notice our society just puts the emphasis on the sex, but they don't even begin to talk about how awesome it is to be a parent. In fact, as now our society says that children are a burden. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says children are a blessing. 
So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. Do you have prayer teams? Prayer teams, come on down here. Help me. You can come down for prayer today for anything. You can come down. You didn't raise your hand, but you want to become a Christian, be sure that you're born again. You can come down because you want healing. God heals. You can come down for a miracle because God's doing miracles. I know you're seeing miracles every Sunday now. I hear the testimonies. If you're here visiting, you're just new, there are miracles for you anytime you come to the God in prayer. So the prayer teams are here. These are godly people. You're not burdening them by coming down. You're blessing them. So Father, as we go, we pray that you would bless us with a desire to love like we've never been hurt. We want to love Fond du Lac. We want to love Fond du Lac County. We want to love all the towns around. We want to see the gospel run through these communities. We want people who are hurting to become healed and healthy. We want this church to be a lighthouse, literally a lighthouse, to thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for joining us today for the latest news and encouraging words from Lighthouse. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and now Amazon Music. Just say Alexa, play Come Alive podcast. I'm Pastor Dave O, and remember, we come alive through the power of Jesus Christ. I'm going to catch you next time on Come Alive. Come Alive.